Hey everyone, it's Pastor Michael. Welcome back to Elevate Retake. We've got a special episode happening for you today. We're calling it Elevate Overtime, and we take the topic that we discussed on Monday and dive a little bit deeper with it. You probably listened to the episode that I had with Jonathan Coker when we talked about the Bible as a story. Um, it's titled The Story. If you haven't listened to that, you want to go back and listen to it, hear the first half of our conversation because what you're about to hear is a conversation that I had with Jonathan and Evelyn and Isa, and we all kind of dive a little bit deeper into what it means to understand the story of the Bible, to understand the Bible within the context of itself, and how there's a narrative from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and what meaning that has for our lives. So I invite you to check it out. I'm so excited about these new episodes and these conversations that we're having. I hope they're a big blessing for you. Uh, we were, this was recorded in the midst of COVID and everything. We were just figuring out what it means to record. And so the audio is going to sound a little bit like a Zoom call. There might be some cutting in and out. Um, just bear with us. The content is definitely worth it. And in the future, we're working to make things better for you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jonathan, Evelyn, and Isa. All right. Evelyn, would you start us off with a word of prayer? For sure. Of course. All right. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful Sabbath from our home, from our office, wherever we are today, throughout different devices. I just thank you so much for these questions that are coming in. Um, we know that sometimes we're scared that we have questions that maybe we shouldn't question you, but it's good because we can, you know, see different perspectives, learn different sides about you, Father, and just ultimately talk about you and grow in our faith in you so we hope that you give everybody answering here the right words and and these questions that they don't feel scared to ask anything else father that they're open to talk about you jesus so just thank you for being so wonderful and patient and so willing to educate us mm -hmm. and just please be throughout the rest of this conversation please be with other people watching live and the people that couldn't make it we love you so much in your name we pray amen 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 all right so premise of this discussion is to kind of follow up with the conversation that we had earlier we being john and i we're bringing evelyn into the conversation and anybody else that joins along this point and we left off this morning uh, with the the series you got to try this and the invitation to try the coherent complete cohesive story of the bible and to be invited into that and we got quite a bit of questions. Um, I sent those to you guys. You know, you can't see them on the phone, but whatever. Um, and there's a lot of people responded. I thought, interestingly enough, uh, later on in the afternoon, there was uh, some coming in at like 1.30 in the afternoon. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, really? So, That's kind of cool. Yeah. So okay. first... Oh, it's still open though? Is it still yeah, open? it's still open. Mm -hmm. So if you are listening to this live, then yes. it's still open. You go over to slido.com right now and put in the number 114 and put in a new question. That's right. And I'll be looking at them to, to review them and submit them. And if you see a question that you like, you can jump it to the top of the list. Um, so first question, Mr. Jonathan Coker, how do we trust God enough to invite him into our story? Sometimes I hesitate to let God have his way especially when I feel afraid. Why should I let God into my story? How do we trust God enough to invite him into our story? Um, well, okay. So like, this is a deep question, but then it's also a fairly simple one. So like, whenever I encounter anything with God that like confuses me, I try to like equate it with something that I do understand in terms of relationship between human beings. So it's like, how do I, 
how do I figure out how to trust a human being more? Like that would be like through spending time with them, getting to know them, understanding them better. I think trust is one of those innate things. Like it's, it's just going to be earned slowly over time. Like uh, what is the old adage? Trust is earned in droplets and lost in buckets. Like it just happens slowly over time. Spending uh, quality time. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I appreciate the person that asked that question because I think often within the Christian worldview, we jump to the fact of obviously God's a, a loving God, a God that we can trust, somebody that just it's within our worldview of how we think. Um, but to think about this person in particular mentioned, um, sometimes I hesitate to let God have his way, especially when I feel afraid. Um, and that's kind of given me, it's made me think a little bit about my perspective of God and how how, what it means for me to uh, trust him enough to invite him into our story and to trust him that he's got my best intentions in mind when he interacts with my life and when our stories collide uh, and to think about what exactly that looks like. I don't know. And I haven't fully articulated. Evelyn, what do you think? I see it from, well, what's happened before, you know, any other time that I've been afraid sometimes even afraid of getting the answer of no, or just a different answer than I want, you know, but then although it's hard to remember, I try to remember God knows the story from beginning to end. And I don't, I only see the now perspective. I can't see the end, but God does know. So although it might not be easy, I try to give him the benefit of the doubt, even though it might sound silly, you know, to not being able to but it's you know it's it's really hard to trust on blind faith and that's something that we should be proud of whenever we do but um we should you know be able to trust him because he's still taking care of us now he knows the end and the end he he's rooting for you he's rooting for your success he's rooting for your happiness for your well-being and although we might not be able to understand it whatever other trial might come along with his decision he knows where we're going to be and we're going to be good with him. And that's what we should focus on, not of the what if, because sometimes we can just keep troubling ourselves with all these questions and all these other answers that might have, that might could happen. But at the end of the day, you know, he's taking care of me. He knows the end. And in the end, no matter what happens, I know that I want to be good enough to go with him. Wow. Wow. I appreciate that perspective. I like that. I like yeah. that. I don't think that we were ever, do you think of any story out of the Bible? I don't think that any character could get around having to ask this question or encounter it in some way. Like Moses ran up against the Red Sea and God could have had it open waiting there for them, but like it was closed before they got there. And like, you're going to have to remember, okay, remember the last time, like a few days ago when you were dealing with this other thing? Well, I was there for you then. And a few years ago, I was there for you then. And generations ago i was for people before you i was i've been taking care of these things for a very very long time since the very beginning it's like a joke moment as evelyn was talking it really made me think about uh that instance where like job demands an answer out of god like why is all this horrible stuff happening to me and like god's reply is just straight up boss and that he doesn't really give a reply he's just like yoink let me show you the universe job observe everything <laughs> Do you see all these stars and all these <laughs> galaxies and all these worlds and all these things going on? Well, I invented them all. I know everything, every speck of dust in every corner of the universe, and I know it by name. And you, sir, 
are just living in the middle of it. You need to trust me. That's a trust thing. Like I, I don't, I, there's, there is no other way to develop that trust than to like, to ask the question and to, to get to know him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna be humbled though. He's gonna be like, "Yo, I'm God, and you're not." <laughs> well, and I, I love, I appreciate you brought up the the story of Job. That's become one of my favorite stories from Scripture, uh, because of the fact of how they have, they being Job and his three friends, have a different perspective of who God is, and God doesn't necessarily straight up refute that perspective he just brings them into another reality and brings job into another reality um and you know we were talking this morning about character arc and it's interesting to see how job's character arc develops over the story and to see that even at the end of the day when god gives him back all of the things that have been destroyed he gets his health back he gets uh his uh he gets double fold on all the cows and oxen and everything else that he had he gets his properties back and everything and then at the end of the story he gets another set of kids a new set of kids what was it is it 10 10 sons and two daughters seven and three i can't seven and three something like that so but he doesn't god doesn't give him back his original kids but there's hope in the fact that god's doubled everything else and it's not that he's giving a doubling of kids, the like the kids from the beginning are the ones that are saved. And so as we think about this and in terms of story and how that character arc develops, as we're looking at how we trust God, there's sometimes in this world things that uh, are beyond our control, that are mm. bigger than uh, bigger than our perspective. And we may never know um, the true reason behind why some of those things happen until we reach the other side when Jesus begins to open those things up for me and to 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 share why this incredible tragedy happened um, or why I had so much fear in this moment and how He was recreating and using that moment to uh, fulfill His glory. Yeah, that was for sure a tragedy for him when he lost his sons and daughters. He, yeah. I mean, his kids died, and it almost in the story kind of looks like uh, God doesn't even like it's peripheral. The sons and daughters. Do they even matter? Like, were mm. they just like pawns in this story? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, this Old Testament God, like he'll stop at nothing to make his point. <laughs> and it's like, uh, you don't see it until you look really closely at being hidden in the Hebrew scriptures that like, uh, you know, everything's doubled except for his kids, which does imply that if his kids had been doubled, it would imply that the first set that he had didn't, they were in fact dead. But right. the fact that they're not he, coming back. Yeah, but the fact that he had the same number meant that the first set were saved. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So he does care. He does. He does think and consider about all these little parts of the of these stories that we think, or you know, he's over here trying to be harsh or whatever. I don't right. know. Context. Context matters. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It's huge. So I want to move on to another question that somebody asked, um, uh, and it's written in the form of a statement. Uh, It says, it seems like Jesus' stories kind of veiled the meaning of his message so that some didn't really understand. I often wonder why he didn't just say it. Mm. Anybody got a a take or response on that? Isa, welcome. Glad you're here. Haven't heard, but we're glad you're here. Thank you. Glad to be here. (laughs) I was thinking about that question, and and I saw it in two different ways. the first one I said, I know that some at some points God doesn't 
he wants his message to go to a certain group of people, you know, not necessarily for everybody. And, you know, for those that he's aiming it to, he, they're getting the message. And now the second way that, that I saw it was if it's too easy to get, you know, nobody would, how do I say this? Kind of, he wants you to dig deeper, mm-hmm. you know, go, go look for him, go read his word, go think about it, go meditate, go talk to him and really ask him, Hey, I really want to understand you. I really want to see what your message is so I can share it to other people. Is this message for me? Please open it in the way that you want me to receive it. So then God can see, you know what? He really wants me, you know, or man, it's not as easy, but you want me. You are looking for me. I am here and I will open up to you because wherever you look for him, he's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I'd also say that it has a lot to do with the fact that these are very, very complex ideas. Uh, So that'd be point number one, and we'll come back to that. And point number two, not only the complex ideas, but uh, not always is the is the point of this of 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 a particular passage to maybe express what it is that we're interested in. Um, Mm. And so about that. So like, uh, you know, I might, I might want to hear more about something on a particular topic, but the, you know, the writer will simply stop at that because it's not the point that he or she is trying to make. And so. uh, So you're saying we could come to scripture with certain ideas that would influence what we try to get out of it. Or or don't necessarily. To know, to understand, uh, you know, I mean, it's a terse document. We, I mean, we look at the Bible and think, wow, it's so big and. It's, there's very little, I mean, the U.S. tax code could like fill my bedroom, but <laughs> the, the document that's supposed to like explain all of human existence is pretty yeah. small. Um, like mm-hmm. even when you go back and you look at the account of Genesis, man, I have so many more questions. This thing is not telling me everything I want to know, but the point of Genesis is not supposed to be, or the, the creation story or any story isn't supposed to be to exhaustively explain everything. It's to help you understand this was this this is the narrative of a of humanity that started off perfect, ended up making a terrible decision and watching as humanity tried over and over again to save itself until it finally realized it couldn't. Um, there are purposes to each book of the Bible, and Hebrew scholars, uh, more than any, do not step outside of their purpose. But the other idea that I was talking about is like sometimes when you go to like Daniel or Revelation, you know, I I, whew, I teach those classes. And I get I get frustrated sometimes. You know, why can't this just be simpler? Why can't they just speak plainly? But these are very very complicated ideas with vast amounts of information that are supposed to be understood by people that were living thousands of years ago. Um, and if you look at it like that, like wow. That was probably the simplest way that anyone could write that down <laughs> was in was in terms of symbols and metaphors. Like hmm. there's just so much going on that I don't think that I could make it simpler if I tried. Yeah. Um, so I think those would be my two answers to that question. Like there are very, very complicated things going on. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes the point that an author is trying to make does not coincide with what it is that I want to know. And so it seems like sometimes like, 
you know, it just be plain spoken, right? Like this is, this is what the disciples would say to Jesus all the time. I'm reading through John with some of my students at CTA and it's like, he's talking very plainly the whole time, but they're so confused because they're holding on to what they think Jesus is going to do. Yeah. And instead of like listening to him say, I'm not going to be your King. I'm going to be your savior. That's why they're so confused. And he keeps speaking so plainly that it just flies over their heads over and over again. And I don't think it's any different for us. I, I think he's speaking plainly, but we are, we just, we're just holding on so strong to our presuppositions. I don't know. Yeah. I think I'd add to that and the, and bring in the, the context of, uh, that time and place that Jesus lived in, you know, which they didn't have little black boxes and devices that they could connect like this and record and make podcasts and all kind of stuff, but they told stories and how they would share on generational information and to pass on the lessons and the principles from father to son and mother to daughter and, uh, down through the generations was through story form. And I always think about some of the most powerful sermons I have ever heard have not been the ones that have just, you know, uh, a bunch of exegesis and, and stats and everything thrown in my lap. I'm like, wow, that's beautiful. No, the, the most powerful messages that I've heard have come in the form of stories. Mm-hmm. And they're also the ones that, that are most memorable uh, because as we experience stories, the way our mind works, our, we're able to transport ourselves into the world of the story. And so I think about when Jesus is telling the parable of the sower, I imagine myself kind of, I'm looking out my window right now, looking at the road and maybe imagining the sower walking down and there, the road is now transformed into a field that has been plowed. And imagine the sower is just throwing out seed, not knowing where it's carrying. And as Jesus is talking to that story and saying some seed fell on the rocks, some seed fell on the weeds, some seed fell on, on good ground thinking about the the sower indiscriminately throwing out what that mental picture looks like in my mind. And then all of a sudden it's not a, wow, what am I trying to pick out of this? It's like, oh, I want to enjoy this story. And what is this story trying to to teach me at this moment? Hmm. Isa, what are you going to drop on us? You got a thought? I'm uh, just enjoying the <laughs> discussion. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Then I wonder if Jesus told us plainly, would we still believe him? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know why Jesus told it in stories. I, I've heard in sermons like he spoke in parables because that's the illustrations he used were the illustrations that the people there could understand, like mm-hmm. farmers, fishermen. Um, they could understand those illustrations, but he didn't always give an answer. And well, the mystery kind of makes uh, brings you in. Mm-hmm. and i'm like okay well let's figure this out but um i wonder to me if jesus had said something plainly would i would i take him at his word and i don't know mm. yeah I'd, i think i'd be in the same camp as you if i don't know because there's something about the adventure and there's something about digging through the dirt to find something uh, why is buried treasure uh, a common character, a common item in a story, uh, because there's something that's blocking the person from getting there. And the whole purpose of the story isn't necessarily to that you get the treasure, but the journey that you go along to get there. 
Um, and I think about the value that gold has or precious stones uh, or even oil or, well, I guess oil right now is totally not worth anything in our economy. Um, oh, my word. I'm waiting for the day when I can go fill up my car and somebody's going to hand me $20. Yeah. Can you please take this gas? Negative $36 a barrel? <laughs> I can't Sorry. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's bad. But why, why are some of these things so valuable is because they're rare. And I think, think some of the truths of scripture is as plainly as they are, um, as they are given that at the same time, there's a profundity, there's a depth to them that causes us to seek more, that causes them to be even more valuable because we don't just see it on the surface level. We've got to go digging to find them. I don't know. Next question. Any tips on reading the Bible as one coherent or cohesive story? How do you read the Bible as a coherent story, as a cohesive story? Jonathan, you and I kind of hinted at that today, but we didn't give any practicality to it. First of all, the way that we read the Bible is sometimes not conducive to this. I think I would start off by answering this question by talking about how it is perhaps common, (laughs) uh, common practice for us to read through, say, a book of the Bible slowly. Uh, You know, we'll read a chapter a day or a chapter at night or in the morning, and then we go on about our lives and we come back to it and read another chapter or two. Um, When we do this, though, we don't tend to get the overarching grand theme of the entire thing. Mm. Uh, And you'd be surprised how much context gets left out when you don't read an entire book of the Bible from start to finish. I was, I was thinking about uh, how much gets left out and how much gets overlooked and how much gets uh, kind of turned into proof text when we compartmentalize the Bible. It's like, I guess it just doesn't make sense. It would like, it, it'd be the same thing as like going into your neighbor's mail and like pulling out a letter if we still mailed each other letters and like, you don't know this person, you don't know the person that wrote the letter. And now you're going to like read a couple sentences each night before you go to bed. And you're hoping that you're going to understand the context of this. Like, you don't know what the last letter was. You don't know like what's going on. You need to know more things. You need to know the context of what's going on in order to be able to figure out what, what's really meant by what's written down. Um, I think Actually, because we didn't have enough time for this, this would be a really good time to, there's a good example of how stuff can kind of get left out uh, when you are not looking at the context. One of my favorite go-to passages for explaining this when I'm trying to teach it to my students is Matthew chapter 18 uh, from verses 15 to 20. So in five verses, there's this story about how, well, not story, but there's this passage where Jesus you were most was familiar with it. He's talking about what we were supposed to do when uh, a brother or sister sins against you. So like mm-hmm. it says, you know, blah, blah, go out, talk to the person, blah, blah, go out. Anyways, at the end of it, it says, you know, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And we love to take this verse and say, well, that must mean, you know, when we have two or three people standing in a group and we pray, we know that Jesus is with us. First of all, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jesus is with me when I'm praying by myself. Um, That'd be like starting this Zoom call with only four of us here. Like, yeah, you know, we can start because we know where two or three are gathered. Jesus is with us. Like, that's a bit of a problem. (laughs) Um, But, you know, maybe, maybe if we were to read these five verses, we'd realize that 
this verse 20 where two or three are gathered isn't talking about prayer at all so like you go through it and it says if your brother or sister sins against you go out point out their fault just between the two of you if they listen to you you have won them over done right but if they do not listen then take one or two others along so we're up to two or three now so that every matter right that's where that number came from at the end of the passage yeah. So that every may be, uh, matter may be established in testimony of by two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the church. If they refuse even to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, which is not to say treat them badly. Jesus loved pagans and tax collectors. He spent all of their time around, all of his time around them, trying to preach and mentor and take care of them, which I think that's what we should be doing. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Oof, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, we loose in heaven. Again, and truly, I tell you, we're, uh, we're, that if two of you on earth agree upon anything and they ask for it, it'll be done for them in the Father's name. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them also. He, this, this, this verse is not talking about when two or three people are gathered together to pray. It's talking about when two or three people are gathered to deal with an issue. When there's a brother or sister that is not wanting uh, to listen to reason, this is a beautiful promise that kind of gets erased from from our from our uh, reading of scripture. Jesus promises, "I'm going to be with you when you have to deal with a difficult brother or sister, not mm-hmm. I'm going to be with you when there happens to be two or three people in the room and you're praying." Mm-hmm. So context matters it matters so much and we do this in small ways and we do this in big ways from from passage to passage verse to verse chapter to chapter and even book to book yeah so how do we then how do we do that book to book or how do we catch the the grand narrative of genesis to revelation because i you know i will attest i've tried to read through the bible in a year and i get to leviticus and i'm like well this is all right. Um, I don't know that I want to continue reading all these laws and everything else. What are some ways that we can we can catch that grand scholars will call it the meta narrative, um, that overarching story that all of a sudden brings Genesis to Revelation and everything in between into one cohesive story? You're asking like some practical advice. How do we do it? Yeah. Um, well, okay. Practically speaking, the way you figure out theme is to write out repetitive uh, any words or motifs that repeat mm-hmm. and then if you're to do that as you're reading through a bible you'll start to or through a book of the bible you'll start to realize what the theme is uh what it is that the author's trying so hard to address and if you do that for each book after you've gone through you'll start to see there's a pattern emerging a chiastic structure throughout the entire bible it's like uh Oh, like what we were talking about the other day where like the Old Testament is like trying really hard to tell the story of like how humanity just cannot get their act together. We try over and over and over again to to keep uh, the covenant with God. It's like God tries. It's like, all right, Abraham. All right. You might you my guy. You better keep my covenant. You can keep the covenant. You know, okay. All right, Abraham. You okay. All right. Maybe now you. All right. All right. Jacob. Oh, okay. All right. Now, like we just go through generation after generation and they are all messing up all over the place i mean just over and over and over again until finally after you're like halfway through the old testament you're like okay listen it's pretty clear that humanity cannot do this 
And that I think is one of the big points that, that God is trying to express not only to humanity, but maybe even to the entire universe. Like, look, I've tried over and over and over again. They cannot do it on their own. Right. I have to come down and be them and do it for them. Yeah. And if he had done it before we realized that, I don't think that we would have realized what it was that he did for us on the cross. The Old Testament mm. is so important because grace means nothing if you don't understand what it's paying for. If I told you I paid off your student loans, you'd probably be like, wow, thank you. Um, but if you didn't know how much your student loans were, like, what, what are the, that's meaningless to you. Like, right. If, if you had a, this massive debt racked up against you in your name. And you kept getting bill statements every day or every yes, week. And yes. That, like you we go into the narrative and we talk about the stress of it. And we talk about how your wages are being garnished. And we talk about how you don't have enough food to eat. And we're like, we really pull and stress this story apart. Then when I come in and pay your debt off, that's when you understand what happened. Mm. We have to go through the part of, of, of dealing with what is sin before you can understand what God did on the cross. Yeah. It cheapens grace without it. Oh, the yeah. old Testament without the new Testament is cheap. It's very true. That's very true. Did that kind of answer? I don't know. You tell me. I think so. I, I'm still, I'm even wrestling with this myself in terms of how do I understand the Bible more and to see these grand overarching themes because I think we mentioned it a few moments ago. The um, we're we're quick to to run to particular texts that we're familiar with. We're quick to run to particular passages that we're familiar with. Yeah, where two or three are gathered for God to love the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's that? I said, yeah. Let's touch on that verse for a second. God so <laughs> loved the story the world. found in that. Yeah. Oh my touch on it. We love to like, we just shout that one around. Like that one, that one plainly expresses the cost of love. You say you love things. Yeah. But what you willing to sacrifice for? I can't even listen. That's a whole new sermon. <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And you tell me you love Jesus. What'd you give up for him recently? Mm, you well, and so, you know, you mentioned uh, picking up motifs, motif, motifs and thieves, motifs and themes. Yes. Uh, a moment ago. So Genesis or John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes. Tim Tebow's helped us know that, you know, with the John three sixteen across here, learn it as we were kids. But if we don't place that within the narrative of scripture and realize that uh, Genesis 22 is exactly John three sixteen, mm. but a practical form of it, because mm -hmm. God's asking Abraham to give up his covenant son yeah isaac who he's waited 25 years for mercy he had to wait 20 well before he was promised he would have a son at 75 or something like that oh and let's but not a, even talk about the part of the story where he tried to force god's promise and make it happen yes. to other means yes mercy yeah, yeah. no and you're so, right and so isaac is isaac is uh isaac is the son of the covenant the promise of god Yes. And he, God has now given Isaac to Abraham and Abraham's ecstatic. He's excited because he's got his, his only born. It's his son between him and Sarai. Um, don't have time to touch on Ishmael and how Abraham tried to, 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 to bring that about. And that's, he's kind of the son of the curse as, as opposed to the son of the promise. Although Ishmael is blessed as well. But then Genesis 22 turns around and God says, okay, Abraham, that son that I gave you, that you did nothing for, that you love so much because I promised it to you. He came in old age. I want you to go take your son and kill him. Mm. 
and sacrifice him to me. And what boggles my mind in that situation too, is that Abraham is someone who's following God. And during the, that time, there were other religions and other peoples that practiced uh, child sacrifice and human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And for Abraham to hear and discern the word of God, to know that he had to go through with what it was, that he would follow through it and that God had a plan, but mm-hmm. it still cost him. And Ellen White, I believe, brings it out in Patriarchs and Prophets that talks about uh, how Abraham believed that Isaac would be resurrected either then or in the last day and be brought brought back to life again. But Abraham willingly gave up his son because God said, okay, I'll follow you, God. And God provided in a miraculous way. But a lot of scholars, a lot of people, I've come to the understanding that story foreshadows what Jesus came to do. And it's exactly John 3, 16 in there. And so right there, you've got a connection from Genesis to John that yeah. kind of bridges across the Old Testament. Without that context, you look at that story and you think, wow, what a harsh and mean and evil God that yeah. he would ask somebody to kill. You, yeah. you don't understand. You are at that, that now that you have walked through that story and you see just how awkward and awful it is. Now you are better able to understand exactly what it was that God did for you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Exactly. Mm, mercy. Why <sighs> was so cool. It is. <laughs> I want to share with you all real quickly. And this is um, for those of you that are here and those of you that are listening to it uh, later there. Oh, I thought I had it prepped. Here we go. Uh, another way that we can look at, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but there's, you can find these online, but the the kind of connections that the the general looking at themes, and you can rely on scholarship. You don't necessarily have to go do all the homework yourself. Um, but dividing the Bible up into between, so we've got Old Testament and New Testament. And within the Old Testament, you've got sections of books that you could call the law, which is uh, the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. You've got the history books that goes from what's after Deuteronomy, Joshua, Joshua, all the way through um, Second Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Second Chronicles. So that's the, the history portion. Then you've got poetry, which is like Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Song of Solomon, all that. And then you've got the prophetic books, uh, which isn't Daniel and Revelation. Daniel's actually, I think, I believe is part of poetry because of how it's written. You've got the prophetic books, which is like Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these things. And you think on a, on a broad scale um, in the Old Testament, if you look at the law, the foundation within the, the books of the law, the foundation is laid for Christ. And so it's setting up that, like what you were talking about, Jonathan, about how we need a savior. We need something that, that this is what a, a Messiah needs to come and reclaim and how life can be lived at the now and the not yet. Uh, and then you move to the history books and that's the preparation for Christ. Uh, and there's, you move through all of those books and it moves from themes of like reconstruction, protection and destruction deprivation, restoration, deportation, division, expansion, all these things. And God uses, takes his people and he's moving them around to different places. And it's showing how it's showing them all along the way that they need to be preparing for Christ. And you move into poetry and poetry is the aspiration for Christ and how it's expressed and that longing for Messiah, that longing for someone to come and save in poetry form. And then prophecy is all about the expectation of Christ. Uh, Isaiah is the one that talks about the the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, prince of peace, uh, talks about the the virgin being with child and and prophesying that Jesus is coming. Uh, And so you've got those four sections of the Old Testament. 
the foundation laid for Christ, the preparation for Christ, the aspiration for Christ, and the expectation of Christ. And then within the New Testament, you've got the Gospels, the, the history, which is the, the book of Acts, you've got the epistles, and then you've got Revelation. And those are divided. Uh, the Gospels talk about the manifestations of Christ. So Old Testament has been leading up to the manifestation of Jesus. And then you get to Acts, which is the propagation of Christ, the, the idea of history and how Christ is propagated throughout the land. And then the epistles, the writings of Paul and the other letters that were shared around during the early church uh, was the interpretation and the application of Christ. So Christ has come. We've seen how he's propagated. Now, how do we handle Christ in our everyday life? And then the revelation is the consummation of all things in Christ and to Christ. And so you be, you start from the beginning of the Bible talking about the preparation for this Messiah. Uh, and I'm going to put enmity between your offspring and seed and all that kind of stuff. We're going to shoot forward and look for Christ. And then Revelation bookends it with the consummation of everything coming together. And yeah. that is a super fast brief overview. And I hit you just on the spot with that. But uh, I think it's a, a, a profound description of what the Bible tries to do and that all of these pieces coming together, writers over about 2000 years, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing coherently and cohesively to mm -hmm. communicate the power of the gospel. Yeah, I think there are lots of good examples of how, how the, the, these different books all build on each other and help, help you to understand the entire picture. Whereas if you're to just take any, just one of them, uh, you get kind of a only part of the picture. Um, yeah, I think actually, uh, oh, what's his name? The Bible Project dude, uh, Tim Mackey, yeah. does a good job of explaining like, so there's, uh, when you read through Proverbs, it's like, you know, it's a wisdom book, right? And it's like, this is the way it's supposed to work. You do a good thing and a good thing happens to you. And you're like, yeah. okay, well, that's true. And then like, you know, you actually done reading through Proverbs, you're like, okay, but that's not what always happens, right? Like, right. so like, that's wisdom and that's true. But Proverbs by itself doesn't tell the whole story. So then you, you, know, you got Ecclesiastes. Yeah, you got Ecclesiastes. <laughs> you got you got the you got the crotchety old cranky man who comes out on, onto his front porch and is yelling at the kids to get off his lawn. That's Ecclesiastes. He yeah. comes out there and he's like, "It's all a mess, man. Ain't none of this making any sense." And he's right too. He's like, "Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes you're doing everything you're supposed to do and your house explodes." Like. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And then and then you have Job who comes in and like kind of puts it all together and it and a any sort of like balances the two. Yeah. And it's like yeah, if you were to read any one of them on their own, they're all true, but putting the three together helps you to have a better, more balanced, more contextual understanding of what wisdom really is. Mm. Yes, it is true that when you do the things that you're supposed to do, that God instructs you to do, that good things happen to you but it's not always the case in this world. Yeah. And so that's, it's uh, gotta be balanced out. I think yeah. I, so many, so many examples. I like that could be its own podcast right there. of just like going yeah. through and showing uh, different examples of how of the story of the Bible connects. Yes. It balanced. It's so good. It's so good. There must've been somebody planning all these different books and making sure they come together. All right. Cause they're just so. Must have. <laughs> so, this leads us to our final question that I want to get to because I think it's an important one. Um, somebody asked, I wonder when the story really starts for each of us. Is there a story before God? Is there a story after God? Or is there any story without God? Oof. 
Well, that's the original, that's the OG question. That's the one, that's the question that the great controversy is trying to answer, right? Yeah. Is there any story without God? I mean, if you want to hang around for until whenever Christ comes back, I'm sure we'll have a definitive answer. Um, <laughs> I, you know, spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure that we got one already, but I think yeah. he's being very careful to make sure that he, he gets all of his T's crossed and I's dotted. But yeah, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but I, I think that that question is what the Bible and what humanity right now is trying to answer. Is there a way to live without God? And uh, I mean, let's look at every example of what happens when we try to remove God from the equation and what happened. You know, you tell me, does it bring good fruit into your life or not? You get to decide. That's the great thing about this is that Christ dying on the cross doesn't force you to go to heaven. It just gives you the choice. You can look at all the evidence and decide for yourself. Like, oof, is uh, is life with God uh, inside of his laws better? Or is he, or, or, or is it good? Or is he holding back anything good from you? You know, yeah. is he secretly withholding something that is actually super awesome and, and, and fun? I don't know. And I think that's why the Bible is filled with so many different experiences that juxtapose a life with God and a life without God. Uh, yeah. You look at the the kings, for example, yeah. that that led Israel. There were kings that followed after God, and when they were in line with God, step by step, the kingdom prospered. They lived well. They did great things. But when they fell out of following after God, that's when the kingdom started to go down. Um, you look at David. David he's amazing this ascending up to the the glory of the kingship over israel and he gets to his throne and he's just this incredible guy fantastic and then he commits adultery with bathsheba and ever after that in his life that's when his boys start acting up that's when absalom does all kinds of crazy stuff and ever after that moment where he departs from the will of god his life he has to bear the natural consequences of what bore out because of that and his life goes down and down and down. You look at Solomon who asked for wisdom. And God says, not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you wealth. And Solomon, even in, in his day, vanity, vanity, all this is meaningless. But for having a relationship with God. And over and over again in scripture, we see those different examples of life with God, life without God. And I think it's a, a, a prescient question to ask uh, for ourselves each day. Is the way I'm living, is that in line with scripture? And am I seeing when I'm choosing not to follow scripture, if I'm choosing not to follow God, is that working out for me? Mm. Yeah. Or is it not? That's the, the, the last part of your question is what's really, what's really important. And I think it's the reason why so many people uh, get, I don't know what to say, get frustrated with, uh, with religion is like, do, does all of this produce a better life or does it not? Yeah. Is it a lie? Is living inside of God's laws causing me to miss out on something that mm -hmm. is awesome? Or am I living my best life when I'm inside of whatever bubble he's tried to design for me? Right. Exactly. Mm. I would think that the, I would posit that the Bible argues that we do live our best life when we follow what scripture has to say oh, absolutely. and that God's not hiding anything from us, but that often has come from, uh, you got to figure that out for yourself. You got to taste and see. You've got to try it. Right, yeah. Try That's... out the story of the Bible. You got to try out. You got to try this. <laughs>
That's all I got to say. Shameless plug for the series title. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I had a thought, but I think it just disappeared. Yeah, Adam and Eve, like, come on. Like, the very moment it entered into this world, were their lives made better? Yeah, no. Show me somebody's life that was made better with all of, all of that. Oh. I hope you were blessed by this episode. It was so great to dive into what it means to understand the Bible as a story. You know, one of my big takeaways out of all of this is being able to see the character of God unfold throughout the pages of Scripture. And and I invite you as a listener to dig into the Bible as a story, to dig into what it means for Scripture from the beginning to the end to be the narrative of God's working in humanity throughout history. Uh, There's a number of ways that you can dive into the Bible as a story. You can pick up a chronological Bible from Christian Book Center or find a chronological Bible reading online. Those are great resources where you can take the Bible and read it as a literal story instead of the way that it's arranged now. it's, It's put together and pieces are spliced together so you can understand what's happening in real time. And I also encourage you, hey, pick up a book of the Bible, read it front to back. A great place to start is the the book of John, to read that front to back and understand the story of the narrative of John. Uh, Any book of the Bible, I just encourage you to read it and to see Jesus through the eyes of the authors and how they're weaving the continuous story of human history together. So look forward to seeing you next time. We've got another episode dropping on Monday. We're continuing our look at scripture. It's called Try Beauty, and it's a conversation I had with Chaplain April Snyder from Southwestern Adventist University. And then again, join us again on Thursday for Elevate Overtime. Looking forward to seeing you there.